Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Slasher Talks. I'm Adrian. And I'm Stormy. And we have the honor of discussing Take Back the Night, which is a Riot Girl creature feature that will see its debut at the 7th Annual Popcorn Frights Film Festival, which is taking place in South Florida from August 12th to 19th. And we have the honor, the privilege of speaking with co-writer, director, Gia Elliott, and co-writer, actress, Emma Fitzpatrick. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Of course, of course. Thank you, guys. Now, anytime somebody comes on, we always ask the general question of what was kind of your introduction to the horror genre altogether? Gee, take it. Oh, man. (laughs) I know. Um, You know, my parents are punks. They met in New York City in the, like, early 80s, late 70s, playing CBGB, playing Dirt Club. And then they started a family. And so things that they thought were like, you know, appropriate fodder for a two-year-old were like, you know, stories that my dad sort of retold of Edgar Allan Poe. And so like, I have childhood footage of me like running around the house, screeching nevermore, pretending like that, you know, I'm like the Raven and um, like super big fan of like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And so you know, these were like really early influences. My dad also at the time was making these sort of really wild, um, like vampire punk weird sort of, not directly like fetish videos, but not now that I'm older <laughs> looking at, you know, and uh, and so like I kind of just grew up with these things sort of around the East, like in my stratosphere. And um, When I started making films, I first made, you know, a queer rom-com web series that I like loved. And then I went from that to being like, okay, if I'm going to make a feature, if it's not going to just be like the funnest story of some kind of new voice, uh, it's got to just be the most high stakes. And so I kind of like went back to this sort of, you know, early horror influence. Love it. Emma? Uh, my intro to horror, I actually didn't, um, I wasn't into it as much when I was a kid. I scare very easily. Um, and I, my best friend when I was a kid was super into horror films. And I think I got tapped out early on. I remember Candyman being the last thing that I watched where I was just like, I'm out. I can't, I don't like this feeling. <laughs> um, but then I started, um, one of the first films I shot when I moved to LA was a horror film um, with director Marcus Dunstan, who's actually an EP on this film, Take Back the Night, um, I think 10 years later or whatever, we got to start working together again. So um, when I started being in horror films, I obviously had to do a little bit of research and figure out what this world was. Um, So I remember for that film, prepping for that film, Marcus sent me a bunch of references and I would like watch them in the daylight fast forward through the scary parts, you know, just to kind of get what the, what the references were. But um, this year, actually, I don't know what inspired it, but this last Halloween, I started going back and watching all the, like the classics that I could get my hands on. I just did like the Freddy and the Halloween and the Chucky and just things that I'd never tapped into when I was younger because I was too much of a scaredy. Um, So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm getting my, my feet under me here (laughs) getting brought up to speed so I would love to know how the two of y'all met like I feel like uh I mean it's kind of natural for two writers to cross paths but I'd love to hear the story 
Well, Gia and I actually, um, our, our alma mater, is that what you call it? Where you went to college? Yeah. yeah. Um, is the same, but I graduated, um, a few years before her. So we, we had a lot of mutual friends in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but didn't cross paths in LA, I think for, for many years, right. How, or how long had you been there, Gia? Two years. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't that long. I had been in LA for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I think once, once she got there and we kind of had mutual friends in LA as well. Um, and yeah, we started a feminist book club, uh, Love that. <laughs> so that we could just have a regular, I remember at the time I was just really, I had expressed to Gia that I didn't have a lot of women friends in my life. And I thought that was such a travesty because I care so much about women um, and women's issues. And so we started just gathering around these books um, and then it led to making a movie together. So awesome. Now, Take Back the Night is amazing. It was something that I thoroughly enjoyed watching. I love the story that was told and I kind of like the direction that you guys took it in because it definitely felt, I mean, with horror and I think as you kind of look deeper into the genre, there's so many films, you know, trigger warning where it's a subgenre within itself, the rape revenge genre. Yeah. And I personally don't enjoy those films. I can't sit through them. Um, it just doesn't work for me personally. So I love yeah, yeah. the aspect that you guys took with this movie. I mean, kind of like you were alluding to beforehand when you were like reaching out to us, just kind of wanting to make it more of like a, a popcorn flick, a little bit different. But yeah. I thought it was amazing. So, I mean, how does it feel to finally kind of have this film coming out after like a four-year journey of even making it? Oh, man. Thanks for watching. Thanks for understanding our film. It is such a joy to share it with, you know, horror fans and people who really get the genre. Um, it feels wild. Actually, today I was shipping, there's something called a DCP, which is a digital cinema package. It's the hard drive that you plug into the back of a projector. Um, I was like seeing them for the first time, you know, myself yesterday when I picked picked it up. And so I had a DCP that we're shipping. We're also playing at the Phoenix Film Festival at the International Horror and Sci-Fi Festival, which is like a sub-tier in within the Phoenix Film Festival awesome. in, in late August. So I was shipping it today. And um, it just was felt like so surreal that I could hold the work that we all put like so much literal blood, sweat, and tears into. <laughs> And just like hold it in my hands and just like send it away. And so it feels very surreal. You know, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm like ready. <laughs> so, I don't know that I'm ready. I'm so scared. <laughs> well, you're, you're delivering a great product. So I don't think there's any need to be worried because it's great. It really is phenomenal. Um, so with this film, I feel like we've could have gone a lot of different directions um, especially with the heavier topic. So what made you want to take it into like a creature feature direction? I love that question. Um, that question was sort of the whole spark of the film. And, uh, you know, um, the idea of sexual assault depiction in cinema, Emma and I were both like, I, I think pretty exhausted seeing that scene, seeing that trope seeing how a lot of times that event is used to as a catalyst for other people's story and it's rarely the survivor who gets to tell the story um and so we're like all right 
clear the decks. We're just not going to do it. We're just not going to show that terrible scene. And we're going to actually just like have a film that can feel cathartic and fun and invite lots of people into thinking about the topic at hand. And so we're going to just try to make it as fun as humanly possible. And so how are we going to do that, but still have, you know, sort of life or death stakes and have sort of this um, pressures pushing on Jane, how can we really show her get attacked in some way? And so then it's, it seemed like such an obvious jump for us from those kinds of questions. I'm like, well, let's have her get attacked by a monster and just play it like straight as a monster movie because yes, monsters are fun, but they're also scary. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. We talked a lot when we were in the sort of the planning stages of this, we talked a lot about um, the accessibility of making it a monster movie and and how that would allow this story to be, watched by people who maybe aren't interested in that trope or that storyline um because it's on its own without the metaphor you know it's it's still a monster movie and it's still um fun to watch so definitely definitely and i again like i'm one of the in well i guess like one of those individuals with those tropes and those types of films where i can't and it's difficult because those stories they still need to be told, but sometimes it is very difficult to kind of consume that type of media. Uh, so I definitely, it just, I do, I love the direction that y'all went with it because it's fantastic. So I guess for both of you then, like what was the most challenging part of even like bringing this film to life, creating it, what would you say? What, I know. <laughs> what wasn't? Um, shorter list of things that were not challenging. Um, you know, this really was a passion piece of ours. This was something we were doing on nights and weekends with our uh, third producer, Kwanzaa Gooden, a very talented kind of jack of all trades filmmaker. She can sort of just do it all. Um, It was sort of us running around capturing scenes, finding scenes organically, um, working on it through the nights and the weekends. And then we got some financing and we finished the film out properly. But then there was, we were so ambitious about it that there still was a lot of work to to be done. And so then it took us two or three years really in post of, of, you know, running out and picking up scenes here and doing these shots there. And um, it took us like between seven and nine months to do all the VFX because it was a singular VFX artist sort of who works at Viacom in-house or she was at the time and was sort of doing this um, nights and weekends. And so, you know, just I think the being able to hold on for as long as it took to take something that's a dream and concretize it when you're sort of up against all odds. Yeah, I would second that motion. I think that um, when you have less funding, um, it's, you know, money equals time. And so you have to make up for a lot of that in your own personal um, well, whether it be your own personal bank account or your own personal time bank account. And um, we all put a lot, a lot of time into this. And it, you know, after a couple of years, yeah, you it's hard to keep your eye on the prize, I would say, um, at some points, but I think we, we had a, a good group of people who were all in it for the right reasons, so. Awesome. So in the process of making the film and directing, uh, developing the characters, is there anything specific that you can think of, whether it be books or movies, television, that really inspired you? 
Yeah, um, it's funny. And then I were just talking about this earlier. There was a a single um, episode of This American Life that is a great episode. It's a great story. It actually went on to become a movie in its own right um, called Unbelievable. Um, I forget the title of the original This American Life episode, but that was something that we had shared um, that really kind of both wrecked us emotionally. And that was sort of an early touchstone of like, okay, here's an exact story of somebody who... um, you know, kind of survived going through this process of being attacked and then slowly one by one, each member of the support network turns on you and starts questioning your story until you're left questioning your own story and your own grip of reality. Um, That was something that kind of came pretty early on in terms of like touchstones. Awesome. That movie's been on my watch list. Haven't gotten into it. Because, I mean, Tony Collette's in it. So, like, that's why it's at the top of my watch list. But again, anything, like, involving this topic is just so, it's difficult to consume it. So, again, I mean, you guys did fantastic with what you were able to present. Uh, So, now, you both, of course, were kind of looking into the topic and just the impact that trauma can have on memory storage and the psychological coding in relation to sexual assault. And even in the film, we learned with Jane as well that, you know, she endures a lot of trauma with her upbringing as well. So why do you both feel that it was like important for this topic to be kind of brought to light and brought to people's attention? I think uh, I think with that story the, that Gia was just talking about, um, one of the things that we both found most horrific about it was um, that so many people don't understand what it looks like to be a victim of trauma. Um, Not only your family and your friends, which it can be devastating to lose their support, but if you actually do come forward um, and go to the systems that are in place that are supposed to be there to protect you, um, our judicial system often, most often fails these people. And so of the very small number of people that actually report these kind of assaults, um, you know, the, the number then dwindles from how it moves forward to being prosecuted or even, yeah, I think it's like a 6% conviction rate um, for, for people who are, who are coming forward and, and saying, this is what happened to me and this is who did it, um, whatever. So I think that was when we zeroed in on like, I, I can't think of anything more horrific than actually having the guts to come forward and say your truth and then the people that are supposed to be protecting you, um, either disbelieving you or, you know, losing the evidence in a storage facility um, for 20 years or whatever. So I think, I think that's, I don't know, Gia, you can speak to this too, but I think that that was sort of a central um, a central way that we steered the movie in this direction because it, it really was about um, sharing with people that the realities of what trauma can look like, how it's different from victim to victim, from case to case, from day to day, you know, um, and that until we are educated socially, until our, until our police officers and our prosecutors and our judges are educated, and there, there can't be any empathy um, and there can't be any understanding and you can't have a full scope of the story and how to, and how to deal with these situations. Yeah. Um, specifically something that was of interest to us too, is there's a lot of like PTSD fallout behaviors that, um, if you don't know anything about 
what behavior looks like in the wake of trauma, they make you look suspicious. Uh, so it's just really interesting how like, you know, knowledge is your friend. So, you know, just cause your friend is suddenly way more, um, promiscuous or sexually active than they have ever been, even though they just told you that they had been assaulted. Um, you're like, oh, well, you're making it up. Well, those things are actually way more connected than you think they are, because that's like a pretty classic um, PTSD sort of behavior. And so, you know, there are just some easy things like that, that once you know what they are, it seems like it would validate your story. But, you know, we're all interpreting each other and making stories in our own heads based on each other's behavior, things that you say and things that I'm projecting onto you. And one of my biggest fears as sort of a strict existentialist is like that just nothing that I have that I think is real is real. <laughs> and uh, so the idea of sort of like ripping reality out from underfoot of someone is just, I think, so scary. Definitely. And to kind of speak on that as well, as I kind of grow with age and kind of start looking into like my own mental health and like my own trauma. And as long as even like with my sister, that's why even like the familial aspect of it like really hit for me as well. Um, Cause we're kind of looking into our own mental health and kind of taking the steps to kind of break generational trauma, but it's insane because in aspects, as you kind of look into it, you do notice that there's pieces that you kind of lose and your memory kind of takes a hit. And we kind of talk about it on the podcast as well. I mean, you know, we try to be a little bit more light with it, but that was definitely something that I took away from the film in like a big way. Um, so yeah, it was great. And of course, even with the directing, it was it was phenomenal. Like a lot of the scenes with Jane are like very invasive and uh, yeah. it, it makes you feel very, I don't know, it's like a tight feeling, I guess, with your body. And I just thought it was so well done. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that, that that landed with you in that way. Um you were asking about how it feels to have the movie out and we were sort of G and I were sort of talking about this earlier where it's just like it's so weird to have anybody's eyes on it and and the fact that it's landing in any capacity is really uh amazing, you know. It's a very, very cool feeling. So for Gia specifically, in the aspect of like direction, is there anyone in particular you draw inspiration from? I think I draw a little bit of inspiration from everything I watch. Um, I, you know, there, there are certain films or certain approaches to filmmaking that when I see them, I adapt them as part of like my internal philosophy, you know, like, um, the Hurt Locker is sequence driven, but you get such a beautiful character texture that arises from trying these characters and circumstances. I sort of hold that in my heart. And, um, you know, Personal Shopper, it, I think it does such an elegant job creating very grounded character-based scares. Um, you know, I hold that in in the, the mix as well. Uh, the Shining uh, is a movie that I think about a lot I don't know that I will ever be able to, in the modern age of filmmaking, recreate anything as contemplatively spooky as The Shining, um, but that doesn't mean I can't try five frames at a time. Um, I think about that film a lot. Uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly was like the first time I saw film that played with in-camera sort of cinematic effects. And while I don't think I took it quite that far with Take Back the Night, um, you know, there are pieces of that sort of approach to filmmaking that I think informs 
my approach. And then finally, the biggest film that was probably like the biggest influence on me personally throughout my whole life is Run, Lola, Run. Um, and I think that you see kind of a lot because Run, Lola, Run is just such a punk film. It's such like an in-your-face punk chick film. And they do so many fun filmmaking moments in that movie. Um, and so I aspire to like that level of craft. And I, you know, Run, Lola, Run, I think in terms of this film had a similar kinetic, frantic, uh, grounded in a single POV kind of feel. Um, and then, you know, something that was unique to our film that I tried to lean into as much as I could was the experience of making the film was very intimate. It was me and Emma crammed in a bathtub. It was me and Emma and Kwanzaa alone at night on the streets, like, you know, in a not great neighborhood, like with a, with a big camera, like, and so just things like that, um, moments like that, the intimacy just sort of leaning into it and letting it shine through the footage and having it feel very raw and having it feel like an intimate portrait of Jane because Emma, I think, was doing such beautiful work. Um, her ability to sort of jump in to the story arc into a spe very specific emotion, regardless of circumstances, like so extraordinary. And so just trying to really honor that with the footage and capture that in a way that felt like it was reflecting her own performance too. So leaning into the alive feeling of creating the film and just letting it sort of stand and breathe on its own without making it too slick or putting too much treatment on it was I think a goal of mine. I mean, it definitely felt very raw. It felt very realistic, even and with a lot of movies, not to like, dog on anybody but with social media and like its depiction in film sometimes it's a little I mean I laugh at it it kind of makes me laugh just because it's kind of tacky what they do sometimes and I just love the depiction of social media in the film because it was a bigger aspect than I was expecting it to be um, especially in regards to Jane I mean she's very complex and I mean kind of directed towards Emma as well so I mean she's not only processing her trauma and the attack throughout the entire film but she's also at the exact same time still kind of keeping up with her influencer persona and it's it's a, a lot to juggle I feel like I mean so like how was that like how was it juggling between like those two aspects of the character I feel like that was a later addition um when we we Gia came up with that um sort of I feel like in the seventh inning because there was there was something missing about Jane's um I think just to make it feel really of the time you know that was a reality that was missing it would be like using a rotary phone in a scene you know <laughs> when we're just that's not what we're dealing with um and truly that is what it possibly would look like for jane to try to heal from this that if you are if you are saying um fuck it i i'm gonna tell my story that's what it would look like today um and and I think maybe that was a little bit post Me Too as well. I'm not sure, Gia, about the timing of when we added that, but um, we had we had finished this film and then the Harvey Weinstein stuff came out. And so this whole movement, you know, we'd been working on this for years at that point. Um, and so this whole movement kind of changed where this landed in the, in the stratosphere. Um, so I don't know, it was interesting. It was... Um, we try to make Jane 
somebody that you really liked and would want to hang out with, but that also who, someone who is problematic when it comes to like not being the perfect victim. Um, and yeah. And so I think that the, the loudness with which she proclaimed what happened is part of what becomes problematic about her, you know, cause then you're inviting people in to scrutinize you and, um, and nitpick the things you say and the timing and what you were wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So, and it's just, it's magnified by the social media presence. Um, so I thought that was really clever the way that Gia pulled that in. I mean, one of the greatest things about social media is it's one of our most direct lines to a public, but it also is maybe the one that begs us to ask, is it real or performance for attention the most as well? So it sort of just like amps that up. Um, you know, you see such like wonderful things on TikTok and Instagram of people like genuinely sharing how to work through trauma. Um, but then if somebody were to dredge up things about that person and sort of put their character on trial, I bet we would go back and be like, well, is that really real? Or are you kind of just turning it on? Um, is pretty interesting. This like business of authenticity, authenticity. And to uh, go through. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> uh, well, really quickly, just cause with, um, uh, uh, just with the movie and not to get, I guess, like too spoilery, uh, but even like with social media, I just love, again, that's why it just felt really, like really realistic because I mean, if you're looking at Jane, I mean, the aspect of telling her story and sharing it not only kind of allows her to find some answers, but it also sets up a lot of roadblocks for her also. Um, so again, just really love the way that you guys kind of interpreted that and brought that into the film. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> Um, I was just going to ask, do y'all remember, was there like an instance where it just clicked for y'all where you, you knew the direction, you knew exactly what you were going to do with the movie, or was it really just a process of figuring it out? We knew from right off the bat, after we had our initial conversations, we were doing a monster movie and we knew it was going to be heavy, but still kind of fun. And then, you know, the process of creating the film, I think the commitment and changed to what we were doing based on how much money we had, how much time we had, how many more people were working with us. And so it really did sort of organically evolve in that way. Um, but I think the commitment to the monster movie was from the jump. Uh, so with that, then, I also kind of want to ask, I don't want to get, again, not, not, I don't want to spoil too much, but with the movie and the, I'm going to start sarcastic like always, but with the fucking monster. So, like, I just want to know then, because with the mythos that's presented in the film, I mean, is that like based on like actual stuff that you guys found or is that like from the brain pretty much? I mean, it's a Emma, mix, right? Yeah, <laughs> Emma dug up, like Emma dug up all these myths from all over. And then, so then it was kind of- I don't like, even remember what's real and what's made up anymore, honestly. It's all mixed the mythology. together. Yeah. No, I, I mean, Do I you? don't either. No, yeah. so I feel like we took Emma's, Emma's knowledge of mythology is deep track, like <laughs> is vast. And so, you know, she was bringing all these like references and like peppering me with all these myths. And she's like, what about this? What about this? I'm like, whoa, you know a lot about this. And so that kind of all went in the blender. And then what wound up in the edit uh, was anything we could strain out of that and create something that felt 
like it would be a satisfying enough explanation. I, I'm not a fan of monster movies that give you no explanation at all. Right. Maybe like a broad, like this is how you escape it, but that's kind of it. I'm like, mm, right. I need something <laughs> more. Um, and so uh, we were trying to aim at something that felt like it was just enough where you felt satiated. It was sort of loosely based on things that were vaguely true across the millennia. And, but that most importantly held up um, to the allegory. So creating something that could do like triple duty essentially was what we sort of landed on. Love it, love it, love it. Even with like just the way it looks, I am like, me and Stormy are just crazy and just queers can be. So like when we watch horror movies, like we're looking at like, even what the killer's wearing or the monster, like even what that design looks like. And this thing is just insane. Like I'm obsessed with it. I mean, who... The flies, love the flies. I don't know for whatever reason, but they are just so gross and I can't stand them. So yeah. anytime they started buzzing in my ear, was over it. I was ready to like dip <laughs> because they're just... <laughs> but like, what, how did y'all come up with like the design? You don't have to give too many spoilers if you kind of want it to be more private, I suppose. But like, who came up with like this whole aspect of this creature? Oh man, such a joint effort. You know, Emma had ideas, I had ideas. The, the act, the dancer who plays the monster is a professional dancer, movement expert, choreographer. She had a lot of movements that she thought would, you know, read. Then we were working with a VFX team who wound up not doing the final VFX of the film, but they connected us to the puppet builder who is this like super dope chick named Chelsea Pickens. And she created this really cool puppet suit that the dancer then somehow magically animated and did a valiant job putting life into it even though it looks just like a giant puppet you know and um then the vfx artist Janelise barnett she went in and did over close to 300 vfx um you know and a lot of those shots are five frames seven frames 27 frames so like you're barely seeing it for a second just sheer volume of them adds up um, and then, you know, we did want to have a couple of good face shots, which we got really lucky with getting Chanelies so that we could actually do those things. And so it was really a, a joint effort of, you know, anybody who had sort of ideas in the matter chiming in with uh, creative thoughts on the direction we could take the monster. You know, this is like a big crew of women. And so a lot of it was coming from sort of personal ideas of how to express like this underlying message of like, oh, what if we did this, you know, you know, having sort of disembodied hands of death uh, against the black would be like really cool. It feels like how it's just kind of coming at you, you know? And so we would just take kind of ideas like that, throw them against the wall and then see what we could get to read on camera. Obsessed. Love. Also, how fucking cool, like all the women behind the scenes, even like the monster being played by a woman, how fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Originally, we were trying to hire an all-female cast. Uh, oh, well, no, we have an all-female cast, but we were trying to hire an all-female crew behind the scenes, um, which I think we met a lot of our goals in terms of, uh, you know, representation of, like, women and diverse women and having, like, a bunch of people sort of tell our own story, so to speak. But there was such overwhelming support from male allies, male feminists, who all approached us like, I know I'm a guy, but would you accept a little bit of help from me? I'll volunteer. And we were like, we can't say no. Like, so <laughs> no. Of, course, of course you can join our um, merry band of bandits. And so it was pretty encouraging, I would say, that, that the film sort of just brought in whoever felt compelled to help tell the story. Yeah, so cool. And like you said, all female cast, like, 
literally like the entire time I was watching this movie to be quite honest it felt right like just not seeing any men pop up I was like oh love this but like I just love because from the jump like the beginning there's a scene at a party where you know there's a man involved in the scene but we just get like a hand shot like we don't get to know any real male characters which I love like <laughs> again it felt right to me but yeah you guys killed it again I just phenomenal the acting all the way around was amazing again I mean Jane was so complex and Emma you did so fantastic and so I don't know I love the film so much I'm so excited for people to see it for you guys because I definitely think it's going to have an impact for sure we're, we're really grateful that you guys um, took the time to watch it and, and that it landed with you in some kind of way. Appreciate it. it it's so um, empowering. Um, I mean, even just with the female cast and knowing the stories behind it, but not only that, but um, I'm, I don't want to get too deep, but as a victim myself, like it just, it felt right. I feel empowered. I just, I don't know. That's awesome. It's awesome. That's the single best thing anyone has said to me about the film yet. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, that's really cool. I just want to say you do did the experience justice for sure. Everything feels just as invasive and hits all the right spots. It's genuinely amazing. I really appreciate the opportunity (laughs) for us to watch it. I don't know. I feel like survivors, I don't know. We all, don't we just deserve a moment to like, yeah, but also catharsis, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to get that without uh, the nasty way that a lot of horror movies approach it. If that makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. We were really trying to make a film that could play to a crowd of survivors with hitting the minimal amount of triggers, you know, just taking the that factor out of it and just grounding it more in the character and and leaning into the fun of the monster movie and and a victorious ending, which is not something I'm afraid to spoil. I think people should know going in um, that we're you're in good hands, you're in loving hands. I would say. I think that the I think that the goal was to tell more of a story about victim blaming than actual assault, you know. So I think that's yeah. um you know, the the uh, the attack is in you know, in the first couple minutes of the film because it's not the point of the film. The fil- the point is what happens after you're you're attacked. Um and so I think in that way um it, it is hopefully palatable for for many different kinds of people so absolutely and I just want to say that the shots like I can't even put into words like how beautiful like several I mean the whole movie is beautiful but how many like shots definitely just hit me like straight in the stomach like the from the subway where you switch to the party like took me back like it's I don't know. There's so many shots in here where I just like, I had to pause and like feel for a minute. Yeah. Like they're so beautiful. Like I love Thank it. It's so good. Thank you. My job was fairly easy. I just had to make sure Emma was in focus and in the middle of the frame and the performance <laughs> kind of took care of the rest. <laughs> you know, it, it was so fun to shoot because we were going to these environments that are so grand. And then as I have said, 
I'll say until somebody takes away my microphone, Emma's ability to tap into the moment is so instantaneous that it's, it's that instant joy of creativity, you know, when you're behind the camera. And some of my favorite shoots were the ones where we didn't have any money and any help and we were just us out there because I think we were creating, you know, something very uh, honest to the moment and to the environment and to the performance. And um, I'm hoping that those moments pop through uh, in kind of balancing out our fun popcorn moments too. Oh yeah, definitely. Again, Emma, fantastic. There's a scene, um, I guess kind of like in the middle of the movie where uh, Jane is with her sister in the car and it is it's like that quick switch and it's like it's just the shots on you and it just like from like influencer Jane like I'm gonna take this to you know a late night talk show to like the switch of just like the emotion and everything and just kind of probably it all hitting her at once and just being like well damn you know now I'm about to be on like live television and just like it just it's crazy and again phenomenal and the lighting in the final scene is so gorgeous and so stunning and thank you obsessed just like neon lights are like killer so yeah the um the the name of the little easter egg the name of the apartment complex where that all that beautiful light is coming from the neon sign i think it says fbc um Lofts. Lofts. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what we named the apartments. And FBC was our feminist, feminist book club. club. That's what we that's what oh, we called. I love yeah. That. So it <laughs> full circle. <laughs> you guys are the best. And this movie is so great. And I really honestly truly cannot wait for people to watch this movie. Um so again, so you said it's playing somewhere else as well, not just in South Florida next weekend as of recording. Yeah, so we're making our we're making our world premiere popcorn bites. We'll we'll all be be there. Uh, me, Emma, the actress who played the, the sister, the uh, the dancer Karina Kinnear who played the monster. Um, we're all gonna go. It'll be very fun. And then also we're playing at the Phoenix Film Festival August sixteenth um, and August twentieth. Don't quote me on that. You can check our Instagram, which is at take back the night movie night repost things there cool awesome yeah definitely follow everybody who's listening so that way you guys can kind of keep up with the circuit of the film because if you have the opportunity of watching it as soon as you can i definitely recommend because it's fantastic yeah i'll keep you guys posted too as to like when it's available on you know streaming platforms and bod okay all right we'll keep everybody (laughs) updated for sure well, anything else you guys would like to plug? Anything else you guys are doing? It's all it's all background work right now, baby. It's all it's all the hustle, you know. <laughs> These things take time, but yeah, we're super grateful to you guys for for watching and um, your feedback is is awesome, really awesome to hear. Oh, thank you. Once again, thank you for giving us the opportunity to even watch it and obviously to talk with you. We really enjoyed our time with you. Thank you guys so much for having us. Um, the thoughtful watch is incredible. And um, yeah. Thank you. Truly, honestly. Yeah. Two small town people from New Mexico. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> I've been able to talk with you guys. I know. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. And everybody check it out. If you have the opportunity, follow all the socials. Uh, follow Gia and Emma as well on your guys' socials. If you guys want to, I guess, provide your private socials as well. Oh, I'm not on social media because it's bad for my mental health. Um okay. But Emma is on social and very charming. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Emma Lee Fitz, L-E-E-F-I-T-Z. Work. On everything? On all the things. Love that. On all the things, <laughs> yeah. Stormy, where can people find us? 
You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the same handle at slash underscore her underscore pod. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Um, once again, thank you guys for joining us and stay spooky, guys. Stay spooky, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.